Well, good morning. It is uh, great to see you all uh, that are here and uh, all, of the, all of you who are joining us online. Great to have you here. And uh, happy 4th of July. And, you know, as we celebrate uh, the 4th of July, um, yeah, this is a holiday that I have a lot of fond memories of and, and, and think about and means a lot. And part of it goes back to, I think, even my childhood uh, my extended family oftentimes would get together, uh, especially when I was uh, really young, and celebrate the 4th of July. Uh, uh, I had a number of family members that were uh, veterans. In fact, I have a grandfather uh, who served in uh, world, or great-grandfather who served in World War One, and, and that is a picture of him right before, I think that was in uh, 1915, right before he was uh, shipped off. You can see the likeness between the two of us there. Maybe not. I don't know. Uh, still have his, I have his dog tags. They're, they're hanging up in the, in uh, my study at, at home. And I, and I think about him often. And, and part of the reason why I have uh, these wonderful memories is just like, it was a time when my whole extended family would get together and we would celebrate the 4th of July and just what it would mean and everything. Um, but what I did not appreciate at the time that I now can appreciate is uh, back then, um, my it's still this way, but back then my extended family represented this great diversity of, of beliefs, uh, and whether it was political or different background, all these different things. We were not like all in agreement on everything. It was so diverse. And yet, even with that diversity, even uh, with the, in the political realm, there was this kind of, camaraderie and unity and family and celebration that was there, that was really this beautiful thing. It, there, there wasn't, you know, uh, the family wasn't being torn apart or, or, or pushed in weird ways in that. And, and so I think about the 4th of July and it reminds me of, of what the goodness is of our country and that sort of thing. But I think maybe like many of you, we come to this 4th of July and there's a part of it that maybe is a little bittersweet because maybe there are some things that are so important to you or you think about, but in the same time, right, there's this other part where we feel, um, especially this year, the stress and the division and the, some of the animosity and some of the, like there's just the feelings can be so intense over this that is so divisive uh, in our country, in our culture right now. And so there's this bittersweet part to it that I think about in this. But here's my hope in this. And, it, and it's where I wanna put the, my focus this morning. And that is, I believe that as Christians and as the church, there's something really good and beautiful that we have to bring to a time such as this. And that's what I wanna talk about. And you know, there's a part of this um, that can feel very political. And, and let me say this, I, I think what I want to share this morning will very much apply to what we feel day to day on a political arena, but this is not a political sermon. And this is, this is not about Casas changing a direction about how we think of politics or anything like that. In fact, um, even as you think about how this sermon might apply to the political arena that we're in these days, uh, I want to challenge all of us to think about it beyond that as well. Um, that this, there's, there's a lot to this that applies beyond that. And with that, I also want to very intentionally put a challenge before all of us, just given where 
our country is right now and some of the things that we face. Um, and it's this, here's the challenge that I wanna give all of us. Um, to choose to be deeply present in the world while being drastically different from the world. And I really mean this as a challenge and I'm gonna unpack this and, and I hope you, you feel inspired but challenged in the same way and I, and I hope that it gives you hope for how you and we can live this out. But it is this challenge to choose to be deeply present in the world while being drastically different from the world. Because I think that when the church lives in this arena, um, it's amazing that there's nothing better. I think our world and our country need more of this. This is where we have something uh, really beautiful to offer in this. And to get at this, there is a prayer that Jesus prays that I want us to look at that I think holds great insight into how we can actually live this challenge out um, as, as part of his uh, church in this world today. So if you have your Bibles, I wanna jump uh, right in uh, to the passage here. And is that clock correct on there? Or does it need to be? Okay, all right. Um, uh, here's where I wanna go. Uh, turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Um, and here's uh, this prayer that Jesus is offering, starting with verse 14. And there's a famous saying that comes out of this that you may pick up on. Verse 14, it says, I have given them your word and the, wor uh, and the world has hated them. Uh, and let me pause it for just a second. Right? Don't be surprised by that, right? Because there is a worldly way of things, right? The world, when the world struggles, when the world is afraid, it responds with uh, more fear, or it's, it responds with hate. Like, that, like we shouldn't be surprised that when the world gets challenged or, or uh, pinned against the wall or feels down, like, like hate, like that's, that's normal. I'm not saying it's good, but that's normal in this. And he goes on in this prayer. He says, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. I love those last words, right? This, this, what, what he says about this. As you sent me into the world, like picture Jesus praying this, you know, Father, right? All those followers that I have that love me, that follow me, that, like, that are keying off of me for their spiritual maturity and development, right? In the same way you sent me into the world with a mission and a purpose and something to do. Father, I have sent them into the world with a mission, with something to do, right? I mean, think about what he's praying in this. And what I wanna say is, he outlines a kind of posture here that I want you to notice. And when I say posture, I mean, when you think of posture, think of a way of being, think of a lens, think of, a, uh, of an attitude or a way of seeing life and that posture affects how you live and the choices that you make. And maybe you've heard this phrase before, this idea that we are called to be in the world, but not of the world, right? Right? That's not a direct quote from scripture, 
but it comes from scripture to be in the world, but not of the world. And it comes from this very passage I just read because what Jesus is praying here is right, right. They're not of the world any more than I'm of the world, but I have sent them into the world to be in the world, but not of the world. Right. And what I want you to have is this vision of what it would be like for the church to grasp that even more, for the church to see how it can live that out, to think about what it means to be in the world, but not of the world, to be deeply present, but drastically different from the world. And how when we as the church, when you are living that out, you're at your best. The church is at its best. This is where we have something beautiful to offer the world. This is where we advance the kingdom of God. This is our space. So that's my challenge. And I think that there's something that Jesus has to say about this that can help us understand how to live that out. And that's what I wanna do with the rest of my time here this morning is talk about how to live that out because I think we can hold this as a notion, right? I wanna be in the world, but not of the world. Okay, so what does that mean? And, and I think to get at what that means and how we can apply that, uh, I wanna look at what Jesus uh, is praying prior to this because it's kind of like as he walks through his prayer, he sets it all up and then makes this, uh, that, that statement where he describes this idea of being in the world but not of the world. And so I want us to look at what he's saying about so we understand why he could say that and we can embrace that. And most of what we're gonna look at this morning is gonna come out of verse 11. So look at uh, chapter 17, uh, verse 11. And there's three main things that I want us to see out of this. But let's look at verse 11. He says this, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Um, and if you, you know, if, if you still use like a Bible with paper in it, I know like probably three quarters of you, like you use your phone or a laptop or, or not a, like a tablet or something, but like underline those words, they are still in this world. And if you're on your phone, maybe highlight it or copy and paste it or, or, or whatever you do in there. But, but take note of this, right? Jesus is saying they are still in this world. Think about what he's praying, right? He's praying to God here and he knows he's coming to the end of his ministry. He's about ready to leave. And it's not like he's praying, okay, God, I'm wrapping up my ministry. I'm about ready to go and like, get them out of here, God. Like, you know, I'm leaving soon, get them out. He's, he's not praying for you to get out of this world. He's praying for you to stay in this world. He's sending you in this world. Like that's, think about that as a posture, right? And so think about it in this way. Here's the first part of this posture that he unfolds in this. And it's this, show up. When it comes to living life and being a follower of Christ, show up, be present in this world in deep ways. Because that's part of what he sent you here to do and to be, right? Um, it's interesting, in Jesus's day, there was a Jewish uh, sect of believers, a very large group known as the Essenes, um, who kind of took a very different posture. And their posture was, it started in this beautiful place of wanting to be holy, wanting to be pure, wanting to honor God in everything. And what they saw as the best way to do that was, was to avoid anything 
that would mess up that sense of purity, that would mess up that sense of righteousness. And they looked at a world that was in turmoil. Like you got to think about, um, you know, they started uh, close to two centuries before Christ uh, came on the scene and they were still well underway and a very strong part of Judaism for probably close to a century after uh, Christ. And their posture was, we need to separate ourselves from the world around us. And because it was this idea that like out of a desire to be righteous, like if you get too close to the world, if you get too involved with the world, like anything secular is going to be a problem. It could corrupt you. It could cause problems. So we need to separate from the world. And they did. And I mean, um, uh, you know, we think about social distancing, like nothing compared to this group, right? Like this group, they built whole cities and communities out in the desert and down in canyons. They, they separated themselves as much as possible on this. What's interesting is Jesus was well aware of this group. And one of the ironies about this group was they called themselves the sons of light because, right, light, like they were this shining example of God's righteousness and God's goodness and they were devoted to it. And it's interesting that Jesus comes along and would agree with the idea that followers of God are, they're the light of the world. But how Jesus saw this working out, this thing of being light, he saw it way differently, didn't he? Now, um, keep your fingers in uh, John chapter 17, but if you flip over to Matthew 5, uh, I want you to see what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. In verse 14, he says this. He says, um, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Right? Don't, don't go down in some canyon, be a city on a hill. Don't with uh, retreat, like be light that people can see. Be deeply present. You know, one of the things I love about you and about this church that I've watched uh, living this out, uh, even in the difficult season we've been in, um, is, and, and there's lots of examples, but one example is our refugee ministry. You know, we have a refugee ministry where we are seeking to minister to and help and just love on and share Christ with refugees that are coming from all over the world. And you know, uh, many, if not most of those refugees, they're coming from places in the world where we can't just as Christians just uh, fly over there and talk about Christ or start churches. In fact, some of these countries, Christianity is illegal. It is not tolerated in any way, shape or form. And yet there's this irony that many of those people never been introduced to Christianity, find themselves over here. Oftentimes find themselves alone and scared. They don't know the language. They struggle to fit in. They don't know how they're gonna make it. Some of them come over with great skills. Some of them come over with a great education and then struggle and flounder and for lots of reasons. And what I love about what some of you have done and what this church has been behind and has supported is finding a way to be present with them and love on them and care about them in meaningful ways. One of the ways uh, this has worked out uh, is with a kids camp that we've literally done for their children, right? And uh, oftentimes people will struggle with this because 
most, if not all of uh, the refugees that we work with are Muslim. In fact, I was uh, talking with a friend, this was a while back, talking with a friend about this with uh, some excitement and sharing about what we were doing. And, and, and again, this not coming from some terrible place, but just a place of shock within him. He like, just like couldn't help but ask me, he says, why would you do that? Like, like, like could not believe that we were participating or, or, and, and actually leading out and doing this sort of thing. And, and I responded and I just with this idea of just engaging and loving and, 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 and what he wanted to say in a way and didn't, but struggled. And we talked through this. It, it's like, he said, like, but like, aren't they the enemy? Aren't they like, shouldn't, aren't we supposed to be separate from them? Like, what, like, like what would happen if, and you just tell all these things. I said, said, like, no, like, this is our chance to be light. This is our chance to reveal something of Christ that they've never seen before. This is a chance to be deeply present because that's what Jesus wanted. He didn't want us right, to put a bowl over who we are as the light of the world in all of this because he wants us to be deeply present in this. You know, when you think about this, one of the things that becomes a struggle is this idea of, but like, what about the differences, right? There are differences of culture and differences of belief. And maybe you've experienced this, not just with something like this, maybe you've experienced it at, at work, where you work, that there's someone, uh, and maybe it's over religious things, maybe it's uh, not over religious things, maybe it's just how you approach life. And it's just like, they have different values and they come at this from a different place. And it just feels like, do I need to step back? I don't wanna be, you know, corrupted by something or something that would, bad that would happen here. But here's the thing, as you go to apply this, you don't have to ignore the differences, right? You can have differences. We're going to have differences with the world. You're gonna have differences with people you go to school with, that you work with, with your neighbors. But you know what's important? Is you have to find what you share. You have, to, you have to find that thing that can actually bring you together. You know what we share with parents across the whole world? We love our children. We care about our kids. You know, when we care about kids that are a part of Muslim families, we, say, we gain influence in those families. We give them a perception of Christ followers that some of these families have never had in their lives. They have come from cultures right, where Christianity is seen as an evil. Where Christian, like, and you go just, because kids matter to them like they matter to us. Love on those kids. We find the thing that we share and suddenly the differences, there's still differences, but it opens us up to have a kind of beautiful influence that this world needs, right? And we get to do that. We get to show up. But how we show up, how we show up matters immensely. Um, look back at uh, verse 11 here. Look at what else Jesus prays with this. And I'm gonna read this verse 11 uh, uh, three more times and I wanna build something out of it each time in this. Um, he says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. Underline those words in there. The name you gave me, right? 
Right? Jesus and God. Right? And, and what is that name he was given? Jesus. Jesus Christ. Like, you named me the Messiah. I'm like, I'm, I'm the power in this world. I represent you in this world. So let me ask you, by whose power, by whose name do we live and breathe and operate in? Jesus's, right? So the second part of this posture that we take, friends, that I, that I want to challenge us to, it's this, show up in Christ. And I love how Jesus uh, walks us out uh, a couple of verses before this. Look at verse nine. He says this, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world. He's going to pray for the world later, but he starts with his followers, his disciples, starts with his future disciples and followers, you and me. He says, I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours and all I have is yours and all you have is mine. What belongs to Christ? You do. I do. You belong to Christ. Friends, you have to remember who you belong to. If you want to be deeply present in this world, you have to remember who you belong to. And here's my concern. I'm just going to be really honest with you here. Um, just watching this season that we've been in and watching churches and our church and Christians and talking with countless pastors and, and just some of the meetings with other pastors and just watching all that we've gone through. My concern is that the church has struggled. It has slipped a little bit and not intellectually knowing who we belong to. I think if we did a survey of Christians in the U.S. and said, who do you belong to, right? It, it would be pretty unanimous. We, we, we know intellectually, we belong to Christ. But I wonder how we have slipped a little bit in our hearts and how we've slipped maybe a little emotionally and how we feel about whether or not we really belong to Christ. Because what you see, what we've struggled with, and, and it is so understandable. But we've been through something in this. And it's created moments where sometimes it can be hard to hang on to fully this idea of just how much we belong to Christ. And we've got to get back to that. We've got to get back to just living in like Jesus, he's the one who owns me. And by owns me, right? What we mean by that is like every fiber of my being, who I am in my identity, in my personhood, in my security, comes from who Jesus says who I am, right? The more we become grounded in who Jesus says we are, right? The, then that empowers us so deeply to live fully present in this world. And, you know, and sometimes we struggle with this. We struggle with this because, right, there's this part of us that we don't want to be um, of the world. And, and that's an important thing. But sometimes when we think about being of the world, I know uh, thinking back even to high school, like what was like the message of like not being of the world. And I, and I was thinking about this this week because I'm, I'm going with all of our high schoolers to camp this week. I am so excited. I'm going to be like a high schooler 
on this camp, I think, right? Um, I am so excited. But it got me thinking about this, right? Like I remember uh, back in high school and, and normally when we think about like, what does it mean to not be of the world? It's like to like, don't interact with the world. Don't, don't dress like the world. I remember there's this big thing, like don't listen to secular music, right? Cause that, that's a bad thing. We've got Christian music and we, and to be of the world is listen to their music. And there was this whole thing about like, we're only listening to Christian music. And I remember there was a saying that I heard often, maybe some of you, you were a part of a church way back when, when th- there was kind of this thing that got to the idea, the core of don't be of the world. It was uh, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and what? Don't date girls who do, right? Yeah. <laughs> Y'all didn't know this? Oh, you have missed a part of, uh, of evangelical. <sighs> okay, maybe it was okay that you missed that, but you know, it's, and I'm not saying go out there and okay, I'm, okay, I'm not saying go do that. I'm just saying, Maybe there's something a little deeper, okay, to understanding what it is to not be of the world than don't smoke, don't drink, don't uh, chew, and don't date girls who do. I think I got the order mixed up, but I know it ended with we're not supposed to date girls who do that stuff, right? That's just how it was, right? I remember uh, Amy Grant. How many come? Please tell me you all remember Amy Grant. Okay, good. How many of you don't know who Amy Grant is? A few of you. Okay, that's... When we get to our series on generations someday, we'll explore that whole thing, right? I'm dating myself right now. Yeah, I remember uh, Amy Grant, like she was the center of Christian music. And then one day she came out with a new album and she introduced it through secular radio, right? And it became this massive controversy. I remember in the Christian community, it's just like, is Amy Grant still a Christian? Did she, has she become evil? Is she, because she, how, like, oh, how could she do this? And it was because we, we struggled with a, a, a more shallow understanding of what it meant to be of the world. You know, when you look at what Jesus actually is praying here, When you look at what Jesus actually teaches, he's really not talking about the music that we listen to. He's talking about something far deeper that is really important. And if we're we're to understand that we belong to Christ, we need to understand what he means, what he was praying for when he was saying, they're not of this world any more than I am of this world. You know, there is a kind of Christ-like posture, right? But there's also this kind of worldly posture. And, and I don't mean for this to be an exhaustive list of what that worldly posture is, but can I give you four words that capture so much of what we have experienced this past year and a half as a worldly posture that, that we've probably all felt and run into, have all been... Uh, hurt by it to one level or another. Here, like four words that capture this. Um, Dominating, dehumanizing, demonizing, and dividing. And I did not mean for all of those to begin with the word D. That just kind of happened through this. But um, dominating, dehumanizing, demonizing, and dividing. That's the posture of the world. And we've watched that. We've seen that. We, we've, we've, it, and if I'm really honest, there are moments where I, I, like I got pulled into it without realizing it at moments. And maybe you did too. And it's just like, but coming back to who owns me, 
pulls me away from those things. You know, you think about dominating, right? The world, we live in a world that only under, it's power hungry. The world we live in, the world's posture is if you wanna get anything done, you have to have power to get it done. The world will do anything to hang on to its power. It only understands change through power, through force in this. We live in a world where entities, whether it's school, whether it's political, non-political, whatever it is, Oftentimes the world is so willing to compromise its values if it means not losing its power. The world will give up almost anything to keep power because it fears losing power, see? But that was never Jesus. Jesus never, never made decisions about hanging on to power, never tried to manipulate things to swing power his way. Or it's just like, like he just live different than that. Like he had this completely different posture uh, in this, a posture that we're called to live in and be in. Um, I think about the dehumanizing part of the world that we live in. You know, we live in a world that just, it can reduce people to labels. Ever have a moment in this last year, maybe sometime earlier in your life, ever been labeled something? Maybe it was on the school playground. Maybe it was at work. And you realize people had labeled you, had pigeonholed you into something. And you remember what that felt like? Because the world does that. Because there was some advantage that lifted somebody up, made someone feel more secure, limited you in some way through dehumanizing you, maybe in a slight way, maybe in a major way. But the world does this all of the time. And Jesus Everything about him was the opposite. Everything was about bringing dignity to people. Everything he did was about lifting people up, recognizing them, and, right? Because that's his heart. We live in a world that, that can demonize people so easily. We live in a world that, right, if there's a disagreement, right, between two people, between two organizations, um, instead of just looking at it and just going, man, we disagree over that issue. I wonder why. Oftentimes we live in a world where the world wants to say, you disagree with me. And if you disagree with me, that must mean you're bad. If you disagree with me, it must mean that you have ill motives. There must be something bad or evil about you to disagree with me. And it's just like, it's scary how often a, a worldly posture can just demonize people just over a disagreement of something, right? And you've probably experienced that. You've maybe had your name maligned or, or someone challenged your character. It's just, and it started as a disagreement. But see, the world knows that because that's what gives it power. That's what, like, it, it comes out of fear. But that was never Jesus, was it? Jesus never demonized people just because they disagreed with him. Jesus could have a conversation let's say with a woman at a well who believed things different spiritually, lived a completely different life. And Jesus, instead of demonizing that woman as she had had happen to her so many times, could just love her, disagreed with her on lots of things, but those disagreements never brought him to the place of having to demonize her to make his point, see? But that's the world. That's how the world operates. And all of that leads to a, a world and a worldly posture that's always dividing, always uh, saying you have to pick sides, always scaring us into needing to, to be on a certain side, to pick a certain side, right? 
if we want to live drastically different than the world, maybe it's less about the kind of music we listen to. And it's more about those moments that even when we become scared, even when we don't know, even when we have a disagreement, that we push back on trying to dominate, we push back on dehumanizing or demonizing or dividing. That's not our way. That's not our way. We can still disagree. We can still look at the world and say, I see this differently. But we can do that without taking a worldly posture that divides and hurts and creates such great anguish in the world. We can be deeply present and drastically different than the world in this. You know, one practical way of doing that um, is this. Um, you can hold on to what matters to you. You can hold on to what matters to you about political convictions you have. You can hold on to what matters to you about theological positions that you have or beliefs that you have. You can hold on to what you believe about, maybe it's not theological or political or even philosophical, it's just practicality. You can hold on to all of those things, but not at the cost of letting go of what matters to Jesus. When what you hold on to and matters to you, to keep holding on to it in the face of another means that you have to let go of something that matters deeply to Jesus. I will ask you to let go of what matters to you. That's the only time. And it doesn't mean that you have to stop believing it. It's just sometimes there's a moment to say, this is not the time to make my argument. This is the time to see that there's someone across from me that is just hurting. There's someone that is saying something right now, and maybe they're not saying it in the kindest way. Maybe they've been pulled into a world of power struggles or whatever, but I think they're just hurting. They're afraid. And what they need in this moment is kindness. They need to be loved the way I want to be loved. Maybe there'll be a day to pick this conversation up later. But first... There's something that matters to Jesus that he is putting on my heart and I will bring that first. You do that, man, I'm telling you, you are behaving like few people in this world. You act that way, you're not, that's not normal in our world, right? How many times did you see, let's just, and again, I don't want this to be a political sermon, but take politics as an example that we've all lived in, right? How many times did you see a profound uh, political issue with great disagreement and each side said, well, you know, I look at the other side and they really want something good and beautiful. We just kind of disagree on how to go about bringing that good thing. That's all. No, like the world's like, oh, no, I can't admit that we both want something good. I need to, I need power. The world, but if you do that, man, you are not of this world. You're being radical, but in the most beautiful of ways, friends. That's us. That's what we get to do in this world. Third thing, third thing in this that, that Jesus brings to this that I think wraps all of this up in, in a super powerful uh, way. Uh, look back at verse 11 again. It says this, I will remain in the world no longer, 
but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Now underline those words, one as we are one. And you just picture Jesus praying this and he's like, you know, God, Father in heaven, you know, the way, the way there are these core things that we share, that we are a part of, you know, like, and, and we see these distinct differences between God, the father and Jesus, the son and the Holy spirit, right? They're not like, there's this weird thing with the Trinity. There's these differences, but there's this kind of unity of spirit. There are these core things that are so unified. And what Jesus is saying, man, the way we share this in this Trinity May my followers find that, right? Not to be this, not to have sameness in all things, but there is this kind of unity of spirit that we share that I want them to have. Here's what I think is so remarkable about this, friends. Fascinating to me. One of the clear outward signs of Christ's likeness that he's pointing to here is a posture of unity. The very nature of it means we can't do this by ourselves. I can't go be uh, unity by myself, right? You, you, right? There's a part of us that sometimes, you know, I grew up, you know, with the values of the rugged individualist and, you know, and I'm going to, and my spiritual journey is my spiritual journey. And there's truth to all of those things and good things with that. But there's a part of this. I can't fully live out what God wants me to be in my spiritual life by myself. I need you and you need me and you need each other. That's what he's saying here. It's just like, you, we, we don't get to be independent players in this thing. There's something about being deeply present in this world and yet radically, distinctly not of this world that requires that we need each other in this, right? That's, and, here, and so uh, to just kind of complete this idea, of what it means to be in the world and not of the world, it's this. It means you've got to show up in Christ together. We've got to show up in Christ together. Um, someone put me onto this uh, show that I found fascinating. And, and this show is about a college uh, football coach who gets hired to coach a football team in England. But apparently in England, uh, they call soccer Football, And so this is, he's never co coached uh, soccer in his life. And so this guy goes over to coach a soccer team, not knowing anything about it. It's kind of the premise of this thing. And so he gets over there and he has his star player. Uh, and I think his name is Jamie. And he is so good at everything he does. But you know, when we think about worldliness, Jamie epitomizes it, Right. He, he is the one, he needs power. He needs, even though he is by far the best player on the team, he needs to keep exercising. He needs to keep putting the other players down. He, right, he will do things that humiliate them. He'll do things that are dehumanized. He'll, this is all because he needs all of that stuff. But he is an amazing, amazing player. And there's this scene that happens between him and this coach who knows like almost nothing about soccer. And he has something to say to Jamie that transcends soccer that is so important for Jamie. Transcends not just soccer, transcends football, transcends sports.
to something about life that is so important. And after a game, he, uh, he's talking to Jamie in his office and he says, you know, you are, you are undoubtedly the best or most remarkable player I have ever had the pleasure of coaching. You are truly a one in a million player. There's just one thing you need, Jamie. And he says something along the lines, there's just one thing you need. And that will be to learn that you are a one in 11 player. Because when you learn that you're one of 11, it's crazy. You know, if Christianity were a sport, it would be a team sport, friends. It's not an individual sport. It's a team sport. We, we need each other because there's something really radical about how Christians can come together and find a way to find unity in love despite our differences, despite all of the things that should be separating and dividing us. When we find that spirit of unifying with one another in Christ, right? We become a picture of something so beautiful, it draws people to Christ. That is when we are at our best friends, see? And here's the thing, in a real practical way on this, right? When it comes, uh, when it comes to like, okay, how do I live this out to just be together? First thing is this, right? We all recognize there's so many disagreements that we have. Even as Christians, we see things so differently. But here's the thing. You don't have to agree. You don't have to agree with everything with someone else, but you have to care. That's the practicality of it. I don't, we don't have to agree on everything, but we have to care, right? Because there are so many things that would want to divide us. Let me just remind you of this, right? Even in this room, even with those watching right now, um, there are people that are a part of this church that love this church, that love Jesus, that in the last election, and I know I'm making everybody nervous here, but just hang with me, okay? In the last election, there was a whole bunch of people in this church that voted for Trump. But you know what else? There were a whole bunch of people that voted for Biden. And that could divide us, but it doesn't have to. You know what's worse? Right? The, the division goes deeper. There are a whole bunch of people in this church that are cat people. Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of people in this church that are dog people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a whole bunch of people in this church from different generations. Generations that shaped you, shaped your values, how you see the world. And you've got people from other generations <clears throat> running around this church that you're in fellowship with and they're a part of other generations. We don't always get other people from other generations, but here we are, right? There are people in here, you know, here's where it gets even worse, right? There are some of you that are morning people. And there are some of you that are night people, which means there are some of you that in the morning, you are a lot less like Jesus in the morning yeah, than you are at night, right? That's just who we are. We're not gonna agree on everything. We're gonna be different. God wired us different. We're like, there's so many, but you know what? We can care. We can still care. 
we can still make room. We can still constantly remind ourselves that we are all owned by the same person. And that is Jesus Christ. And that, that has more power. That owns us, right? And when we can do that, I promise you, it gives you the ability. We don't have to be the Essenes. We don't have to recoil from the world. We don't have to worry about being contaminated by the world. We can be deeply present because we are the light of the world because it is Jesus who owns us. But in the same token, that means that we have the power. We don't have to live by all the things that the world lives by. When we are afraid, we don't have to respond the way the world does, right? We get to lean into something else. When we find fear, we get to lean into who Christ is. We get to lean into each other. We get to lean in the fact that in this community, even if we disagree, I'm going to trust that you will still accept me, right? I'm going to lean into the fact that if we hurt one another, that we'll find a way to forgive one another because we're going to live differently than the world. And I know this, when we live that way, we are at our best. And that is when the world looks at us and starts to want to be like us. And that, that is why, friends, Jesus said, God, don't take them out of here. Leave them, leave them here because there's something there in this world for them to do. And as long as you have breath and as long as we're here, we have a place in this world to be the light of this world, friends. That's my challenge to all of us this morning. And with that, let's just close. Why don't you stand and... Uh, and I'm gonna end us in prayer here. And if you're a guest here this morning, I wanna just say it is so good to have you uh, here visiting with us this morning. Let me, let me pray and we'll, we'll, we'll be dismissed. Father, we just, we thank you for the power of your son, Jesus Christ, that rises above politics, rises above strife within families and friends, that rises above all the differences that could divide us, that unites us, in you, our creator and our savior. And may we find strength in that. And we pray this in your son's name, amen. Have a great morning. See you next week.